may be seated. And again, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Just a few announcements before we get to the preaching. Uh, we do have our men and boys beast feast coming up. We have some wonderful, wonderfully designed flyers up here. Uh, if you would like some to uh, share with your, fen- your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, uh, this is a- and completely free. It is for men and boys on Saturday, March 5th. Uh, the activities start at 1 p.m. and the program and dinner start at 4 p.m. And we're going to have the word being preached, the gospel being proclaimed, and hopefully some souls being saved. But we're looking forward to having this event once again. Uh, we are continuing to accept our, our, our special offering this month, which is Give the Gift of God's Word, which is for these Beams Bibles right here, these hardback Bibles. So if you want to buy some Bibles to give to some people in the third world countries who don't have good hardback Bibles like we would have here, uh, $8 buys you a Bible, and you can donate to that as we are finishing that up this month. And we were also accepting our normal tithes and offerings as well. And you can see our giving for the month of January on the board in the back and continue to track our missions giving as we go along throughout the year. And now I don't want to take up any more time. We have a special guest preacher this evening. You know him as Brother Gabe, and he is the founder director of Jude 22 Ministries. And he helps those who are in addictions and uh, sexual sins and, and all of the like. And his ministry is wonderful. And we support him here at Central Baptist Church. And I pray that you will be blessed by the message that he's going to bring this evening. Brother Gabe. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Tyler. I had something very strange happen to me today. And you say, just today, don't go there. Um, I came to the church to do some work, finish preparation for this message. And I was trying to have a conversation with Sister Tina in the office, and I had no voice. Now, that happens to you all the time, I'm sure. But I've never opened my mouth to say something and have nothing come out. And she looked at me, and she said, what's wrong with your voice? I said, I don't know. Until 3 o'clock this afternoon, I could hardly speak. So if I go up and down tonight, it's not because of you. You're all beautiful. You're looking great here in the auditorium tonight. I'm sure you out there watching on YouTube are beautiful as well. But I've determined that, well, I don't look for a demon under every rock. I think there are some occasions when you're about the Father's business that the devil insists on doing everything he can to stop you, to discourage you, to interrupt you. Uh, This is a brand new message. I have never preached this message anywhere before. And I firmly believe that tonight, for us here in the auditorium and you watching, it's the devil that does not want you to hear what I'm about to say. Now understand. It's not about me. Not at all. But I believe the Word of God, and I know you do as well, is sharp, is wise. And God speaks to us through His Word, and I'm going to give you the Word tonight. But I'm going to start with a very unusual introduction. Unusual to you, but one that I've used many times throughout my ministry. 
I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know Jesus? That's how we begin, usually, our soul-winning endeavors. Has anyone ever spoken to you about Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you? Throughout the night, I want this next question to assault you. Not just permeate your thinking, but to literally make you uncomfortable in your spirit and in the marrow of your bones. Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? Eventually, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 15 through 29. But I want to begin tonight with two verses from the book of Ezra. So find the book of Ezra, chapter 8, verses 5 and 8. And as you're turning there, let this question just begin to take hold. Does Jesus know you? Ezra chapter 8, verse 5 and verse 8. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now, this event, momentous event, of renewal of interest in the scripture occurred thousands of years ago. But this has been the primary need of every subsequent generation. What is that? To read and understand the word of God. For the purpose of obedience, the Bible is the word of God. Thereby, when we read it, it is to know the blessing of God. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Watch the screen as my introduction continues. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. I looked at him and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up and they said, little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, 
I had 15 Bibles and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway. And as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break and I said, you... You, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize many chapters? She said, in prison. She said, you have much time in prison. <laughs> so I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? She said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. And I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the beautiful building, the nice seats, the good lighting, the good air, that we can come into your presence humbly, thankfully, to meet with you on this, the middle of the week, and just plead for your continued mercy and grace and strength to be the men and women of God that you desire, indeed have designed for us to be. Lord, we pray that you would be uplifted in our midst, that you'd strengthen each saint of God, and that, Father, we would go from here not just refreshed, encouraged, for we do want that, but more do we want to be broken, humbled, 
so that indeed the power of the living Christ might show through us and use us for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Does Jesus know you? That came across my screen a little, almost two weeks ago. And I didn't decide till today <laughs> that I would share it with you. Now, that experience that this evangelist had was not totally mine, but it was very, very similar in 1986 in meeting the suffering saints behind the Iron Curtain of Romania and meeting men trying to be a pastor without any formal education. Many were just deacons. For that day, one pastor would have 8, 10, 12 churches, much like in our own history, the circuit-riding preachers. And so they relied upon the deacons, the mature men of God, to take care of the flock and village after village, town after town in their absence. He had a portion of the book of Mark. Only a portion, not the entire book of Mark. Memorized and given to another so they could memorize and preach and teach. One of the greatest meetings I had in all my years, 21 years of serving the Romanian people, was in my second trip. I had the privilege, and you're going to understand this, of meeting with teenagers. <laughs> About 60 teenagers coming from all of the surrounding villages and sitting in a very small, damp, cold building. It was November, the middle of November. And we had a four-hour meeting about this book, about the church in America. That was 1987. No pizza. No Pepsi or Coke, if you prefer, didn't matter. Although at that time, Pepsi-Cola had signed an agreement with the communist countries, and you could buy Pepsi in those countries, but not Coca-Cola. Just a side note. I always called my Romanian believing friends who drank Pepsi, Pepsi communist, but that was just a little joke. You see, what you just saw in this man's testimony is still in existence today. The church in China is underground. And we know that because we have some missionaries or know of missionaries who at great peril in various countries, not just China, others as well, at great peril to themselves go to give the gospel. Does Jesus know you. Take your Bibles, open them with me to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 7. I really was listening to our pastor preach the other night, and uh, 
brother Tyler had already, a few days hence, uh, sent me the text so that he could get his responsibilities done. What's the title of your message and what is your text? And I'm like, really? You need that information today? Because, <laughs> you know, procrastination may not be your thing, but it sure is mine. <laughs> and, and I just find out that unless I'm under the heel of stress and fire, sometimes just there's no creative juices. It just doesn't flow. And uh, that's not the best way to serve, by the way. <laughs> it's better to just, you know, be, get it done properly and orderly. Although, I think I was, I think this weakness was enhanced when I read about Charles Spurgeon, that there were times when he would be sitting on the platform not knowing what he was going to preach when he reached the pulpit. That did not help me at all. But I'm no Charles Spurgeon. He could get away with that. We can't always. But I'm sitting in my spot there in the back, and pastor said something, and I quickly flipped over to Matthew chapter 7. I think he may have even made a, made a reference to this chapter. And I went immediately to verses 15 to the end of the chapter, and I already asked him to forgive me, so you don't need to feel like you've got to go tell on me. I, I let him know that while he was preaching, I was back there studying. And uh, I went right to Matthew chapter 7. I read the entire chapter, and I said, that's it. And within short order, I, I was really bad that night. God is so gracious. I texted the title and the text to Tyler. Whew. One thing done. Now I just got to go back and study and find out what I'm doing. Matthew chapter 7 is the bookend or the end chapter for the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ has been giving great truth, doctrinal, practical. In the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 12, he was giving instruction on righteousness and human relations. When you get to verse 13, he, he switches to righteousness and salvation. In verses 13 through 29, the closing of this great message on the Sermon on the Mount is a gospel application. As you go through these verses, you see two gates, two ways, two destinations, and two groups of people. That's verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go therein. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Two gates, two ways, two destinations, two groups of people. Two kinds of trees, and two kinds of fruit. Look at verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. 
A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not fruit, bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And then in verses 21 through 23, two groups at the judgment. And I'm going to come back to that. But keep thinking about our question. Does Jesus know you? You continue and you see two kinds of builders building on two kinds of foundations, verses 24 through 28. And we see that Christ draws the line as clearly as possible between the way that leads to destruction and the way that leads to life. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. You've heard me say that many times. That's my mantra to all of those Uber clients who get in the car and see my track and ask me a question, and they want to know about my denomination. Don't have one. They want to know about my religion. Don't have one. Had one, pretty much got over it. And I let them know about a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Many people think that both the narrow gate and the wide gate provide the entrance to God's kingdom. But what they really represent are two ways people live. And it's a choice. You get to choose how you're going to live. I get to choose how I'm going to live. Christ draws the line. It's clear. One way leads to destruction. One way leads to life eternal. Only the narrow gate, only the narrow gate constricted and precise leads to heaven. We understand that the scripture clearly teaches salvation by faith through Christ alone is God's way to eternal life. You know, I've I don't know about you, but I've decided in my personal witness, my personal opportunities, I'm not going to apologize for God. They want to attack his sovereignty. They want to attack his love. They want to attack him, fill in the blank. And I let them talk. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm a gracious listener. And when it's my turn to talk, because I have listened, I find that God usually lets me get to the end of what I want to say through the word of God. And I let them know that salvation is by faith through Christ alone. That is God's only way to eternal life. And I let them know, not necessarily in these terms, but the thought, the wide gate the wide gate includes all religions. <laughs> so, so I don't ignore or dismiss, I explain. The wide gate represents all self-righteousness. 
with no single way. That's why your coworkers, perhaps, friends, maybe even family, oh, I don't agree with you. There are many ways to God. Again, you let them finish. You listen to them. And you say, that's an interesting thought. But have you considered what God has to say about that very thing? According to Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven. Woo, it's everywhere. Given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. See, we don't have to be argumentative. We don't have to be mean-spirited. We don't have to apologize for our God. And we don't have to feel ashamed. He's done nothing to warrant us shriveling up in shame or apology. Don't stand in pride. Stand in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, thus saith the Lord. Let me tell you what God has done for you. Let me tell you what Jesus Christ personally did for you. Does Jesus know you? The wide gate leads to hell. Oh, you believe in that place? Well, yes, I do. I, I, I believe the Bible. I, I believe it from Genesis to Revelation. And I, I try to read it like I used to read my newspaper, literally. If it makes literal sense, I don't look for any other sense. I accept it by faith. And I don't try to change it. Doesn't mean I understand everything. Lord knows I don't. But he is never wrong. When you look at verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it, we find that this is a difficult way. And again, Christ continually emphasized the difficulty of following him. That's why wherever the underground church is, I remember in the early days, the madman dictator, Nikolai Ceausescu, <clears throat> came upon the plan that he would guarantee the salaries of the pastors, be they Pentecostal, be they Baptist, be they Brethren, be they the Catholic priest, didn't matter. He guaranteed their salaries. Well, when the Baptists, when that happened with the Baptists, they went from, uh, an, I'll give you an arbitrary number just for emphasis, 2,500 to 3,000 churches. About 2,000 pastors. That was early on in Ceausescu's reign, 1959-1960. So by the time I came on the scene and began my endeavor to have a part in helping the suffering saints, 
there were about two to three hundred pastors for a thousand churches throughout the country. Eh, we all understand. Whoever pays your salary is the boss. So he took control that way. In Russia, they had to go underground. The KGB, suffering, persecuting. Many of you are familiar with the ministry of the Voice of the Martyrs. I had the opportunity on two occasions to be with Richard Wormbrand, the founder of that ministry. His feet so broken by being hung up on the rack and bamboo sticks being taken to the bottom of his feet that he could hardly walk any longer. It's a difficult way. And yet, the church under the heel of oppression and persecution, martyrdom, has thrived. Why? Because they knew Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus knew them! It was a two-way relationship. Nothing strange, nothing unseemly. False prophets. I was in a bookstore, Christian bookstore, decades ago. And I was just shopping, nothing in particular, browsing, seeing what they had. And a member of the church, where I was on pastoral staff, oh, Brother Gabe, oh, hi, how are you? Pulled off a book and brought it to me. Tell me. What do you think about this? And I listened. And she had some particular questions. And after she stopped, I said, I will answer your question, but only after you answer my question. Okay, okay. Do you really want to know the truth. Oh, yes, yes. Are you sure? Oh, yes, yes. I'm going to tell you the truth. Yes, yes. He's a false prophet. I know he has a mega church. I know he has a smile from ear to ear. I understand all of this. And I, I went on and on and on, answering her question to the best of my ability. She said, I should have known you'd be critical and judgmental. I asked you if you wanted to know the truth. That's not the truth. I don't care what you say. I like him. Oh. I didn't even get a chance to say, have you checked? his teaching with the Word of God. She was not interested in the truth. Verse 15, 